MacCast, Sunday, June 18th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Mac's Mac Hints, Tips, Tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? I hope you are having a great week. Let's just say the best laid plans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things happen, but hey, we're here now and uh, we have some really, really exciting stuff to talk about. I have to tell you, I have been since the Worldwide Developer Conference keynote, reading, parsing, watching, trying to understand, trying to figure out what my feelings are about this new product category that Apple is creating. Uh, I am talking about spatial computing, and we'll talk about that term a little bit later. We're going to get into all of the stuff related to Apple's Apple Vision Pro headset. I don't even know if they called it a headset in in the keynote. We'll have to kind of go back and review. Like I said, I'm sort of overwhelmed, mind-blown about this whole thing. So we're going to really dive into a big conversation about the Vision Pro. I'm going to share my thoughts, opinions, feelings about it. I'm sure you have some of your own that you probably want to share with the community. And I encourage you to do that through feedback and email and audio comments. So please give it to me. Let me know what you think about what I have to say and uh, just your own thoughts and opinions. Then we're going to get into some of the other odds and ends, other Worldwide Developer Conference stuff, and that'll kind of be it for the news. Not a lot going on outside of sort of what's happening with Vision Pro in our community and, uh, you know, some of the new things that came out of Worldwide Developer Conference. So we'll get into all the nitty-gritty there and the good things. And then we're going to get to some of your questions and your feedback. I have some comments about Apple TV Plus and Apple Movies that I want to get into. Uh, we're going to talk about HomeKit a little bit because I have a question from a listener or more of a, I guess it's a series of questions and comments from a listener regarding HomeKit and what's happening with that. And then um, we will talk about life after photo stream. Got a lot of photo stream questions after we talked about Apple canceling photo stream. So we're going to get in, into that and some recommendations and some hints and tips and tricks and stuff like that. So it should be a good episode. Let's just dive right into the main topic of conversation here, which is Apple's Vision Pro. As expected, Apple did announce, uh, let's just call it what it is, an AR VR headset. Now, Apple didn't use that terminology. They specifically referred to the device as a spatial computer or something for spatial computing. Um, the technology is absolutely amazing. Uh, it is a 
aluminum and glass headset. It's got a fabric piece. It's got a strap. It's got spatial audio speakers in it. Um, it has brand new chips in the form of an M2, well, M2 processor, which we already know that's going to be used and handled the operating system, which is called Vision OS. So uh, the rumors got that wrong. It wasn't XR OS or Extreme Reality OS or whatever the other terms they were thinking. Apple's calling it Vision OS. It has M2 processor for handling all of the CPU tasks and operating system and running apps and all that sort of stuff. And then because this thing is packed with so many cameras and sensors and it's got a 3D camera in there and multiple uh, cameras and audio and spatial audio and all this processing, all those sensors require their own dedicated chip in the form of what Apple is calling the R1. So that's handling all of the actual computing, real-time parsing of all of the data. And there is a lot of data this thing is taking in and needs to parse because as also expected, there are absolutely no hand controllers with this system. It uses your eyes, your voice, and hand gestures for doing all of the movement. And from early reviews, people have gotten hands-on with this. It's supposed to be spot-on amazing. So you do a little setup when you first put on the device to get your eye tracking, but basically whatever you look at is what's selected. And then you can use very subtle hand gestures, just like pinching your fingers together, to actually tap on things, to grab things, to scale them up. You can rotate them. So there's all these gestures with uh, multiple hands or just one hand for doing the clicks. And you just tap on things. And you don't even have to have your hands like out in front of you uh, where the cameras can see them because this thing's got cameras all around. It's got cameras on the bottom. So it's a very subtle movement. You can have your hands relaxed by your sides. Basically, as long as they're to the front of you and not totally around your back or behind your head, it's going to be able to pick up and detect it from what everybody is saying, which is just amazing and incredible. And not having controllers is really freeing, right? You don't have to have this bulky thing that you're holding on to. And then for other kinds of input, you're going to use your voice. It, a lot of people haven't really commented too much on that. Um, we'll talk about some of the use cases and where that might be a little bit awkward. Um, but you really don't have many other options. There is actually a virtual keyboard that you can pull up. So you don't have to just use voice. You can actually sort of, I guess, type in the air. Um, or I guess you probably have to look at the different keys and tap with your fingers. I, I'm not sure if you can directly just type right on the keyboard. That wasn't clear to me. Um, but hopefully you could. And um, for displays, uh, I think that's the key to this device and probably the number one thing that adds to the cost. We'll talk about price here in a minute and the, the shocking price that Apple gave. But this has dual 4K displays, one for each eye, so basically 8K if you count both eyes, 23 million pixels. It uses a custom micro OLED display system from Sony. And 
the resolution on that is above and beyond anything else that is currently on the market. And the reason for that is just the experience that Apple is creating with this thing. Uh, it needs to be not detectable at all. It needs to be as close to what looks like the real world because this is really designed to be mostly an augmented reality experience. It's not designed to take you out of your environment, but present information and an experience inside the environment um, that you're currently in. For the most part, you can go into a full immersive environment if you want, but you have full control over that. And a big focus of this, and I think it was really smart, was that experience. And we'll kind of talk about some of the subtleties about that because I have a lot of thoughts on that here in a second. Um, but the displays are supposed to be incredibly amazing. Um, the headset is incredibly thin and that has some advantages, but it also has a disadvantage for, for folks like me or <laughs> and others out there. If you wear glasses, um, you can't use your own glasses. You are going to need to get and purchase separately these magnetically attached prescription lenses and you can swap them out so if multiple people are using the headset um, you'll be able to do that but the lenses are from Zeiss so I imagine they're going to be expensive. Apple did not talk about the additional pricing or how you go about getting those. You do need to have your prescription um, and Mark Gurman kind of came out and made some guessing. He's thinking they're going to be an additional $300 to $600 for a pair of lenses, which is a pretty big hit already on top of an expensive device. And uh, Apple does note that potentially not all prescriptions are going to be supported. So probably depending upon what your vision condition is, you may or may not be able to even get the lenses. Um, from an audio perspective, the headband has onboard little audio units that are pointed sort of downward at your ears. Um, a number of people said who had the experience, because when you're wearing it, you're not outside of it. So nobody really knows how much sound leakage there is or how personal that sound is. If you want to get more of a closed sound experience, they also do work with AirPods Pro. So you can put AirPods Pro in because the there's nothing covering your ears. So audio-wise, though, it is supposed to be amazing. It's spatial audio and they actually use the 3d cameras and the depth sensors in the unit to 3d scan your environment and build basically an audio version of your environment apple calls it audio ray tracing um, so they put it in 3d space you can have sound coming from all directions and again sound according to early reports is supposed to be incredible so everything about this seems to be premium and top-notch. Apple hasn't missed a beat. And what's amazing for a first-gen product, and people were in early you know, prototypes of this demoing it, that it just you know, seems to work and does everything you'd want it to do and seems to work naturally. Now, the experience that Apple delivered to a lot of the early reviewers was sort of a guided experience. So it was definitely on rails. But if um, if early indications are to be believed, this thing is going to be incredible. And in, in case you don't hear it in my voice, I am incredibly 
excited about this thing and hope to get to try it and likely will be buying one. I think I think it's definitely going to be on my wish list and we'll talk about how that might happen as well. Um uh, for security, um, it has a brand new security system. Apple's calling it Optic ID. So basically when you put this thing on, it will unlock automatically. It uses iris scanning technology because they're, you know, for the eye movement, there's all kinds of sensors inside the device looking at your eyes and all done on device. So Apple maintaining its commitment to security and privacy. Uh, because of all this, there is a setup process when you get the device for a number of different things. So there's the eye scanning for the optic ID and sort of the configuration of, you know, where you're looking. There's also a point where you'll, you'll take the device and you'll have it scan your ears and that's for the spatial audio stuff. Um, there's a part of the setup process where you'll actually point the device at your face and it 3D scans your face. And this is to set up a thing called a persona, which is like a 3D lifelike avatar. And that's actually what's used for FaceTime because they were a big use case for this that they were showing off was FaceTime. And I, as I'm watching the demo, I'm thinking... Well, that's great for, you know, you when you're watching people on these FaceTime calls and you kind of get this floating head 3D environment stuff. But what are they seeing? Because you've got this thing on your face and there's no cameras kind of pointed at you. And even if you like set up an iPhone or something like that, they're just going to see you in, you know, basically what looks like ski goggles, big black ski goggles as a headset. And we'll talk about uh, some of the features related to that too, when other people are in the room, but um, yeah, so you set up this 3d light, like persona, they're also going to have these spatial personas, which can actually kind of break out of just a square background. So normally when you're on a FaceTime call, right, you see people and they're kind of in this little square window, uh, you'll be able to break out of that. And when you're doing things like you know, sharing a document or um, using Apple's new Freeform to kind of collaborate on something, the, the whiteboard system, you can kind of break out of that. And that was something that was shown in the, um, the developer preview. Um, as far as fit and finish on it, in terms of putting it on your face, uh, they are going to have, uh, well, they have the headband that wraps around your head, uh, it's kind of this mesh woven fabric thing, and it has a little dial where you can kind of adjust the fit there. But they also said that they scanned tons of heads. This kind of felt to me reminiscent of the original um, ear pods, right? When they talked about scanning all these people's ears to kind of find the exact right fit. In this case, they're going to have a bunch of different little light seals. That's the fabric part that sits between your eyes. Basically, it goes on your face to kind of seal out the light and uh, the device itself. And those are going to be or require some kind of a fitting process, it sounds like. If you go in to purchase at the Apple Store, I'm assuming they're going to have some sort of scanning or app technology for making purchases online but so that you can get the right fit. So there's going to be different versions of that uh, for everybody's device depending upon the shape and contours and you know how your face is and that's going to be really important for eliminate eliminating or minimizing uh, light leak on the device when you are wearing it 
Um, they've also come out and said that uh, the headbands themselves, even though Apple has their own designed one, those are going to be swappable. So uh, in theory, it sounds like, and the light seal is also swappable. So in theory, it sounds like this might be a third party opportunity um, for additional sales. I think one company already came out and said they were going to have kind of leather versions of the headbands. So if you want to have a little more premium look than just the fabric look, there potentially will be options. Um, the device itself, I have to say, you know, again, it looks like kind of big black ski goggles, sort of oversized ski goggles. Um, I think it's one of the nicer looking headsets out there. I wouldn't say that it's, you know, uh, small or diminutive in any way. Um, it does have a curved OLED display on the front. Unlike other devices, which, you know, might just have sensors and, you know, big piece of plastic. And the reason for that is it does have a feature called EyeSight. And this was something that was rumored. And I remember mentioning that I thought this would be really, really creepy. But people were saying, yeah, on the outside of the device, what it'll do is it'll project an image of your eyes on the outside of the device. And I think Apple cleverly did this in a way where it looks like, your eyes through a piece of glass, but it is a, you know, digital image projected on a screen. There's not actually pass through of your actual face. And they did a pretty good job of making it look realistic. What's um, part of the reason for this is because again, Apple is trying to create a device where you're not taken completely out of your environment. And so if someone were to come into the room um, what'll happen normally is if you're in a full immersive experience, it just kind of displays this color, a little reminiscence of kind of the Siri swirly colors. And then, uh, depending upon the level of immersion, which you can actually adjust with a digital crown that's on the device, um, when someone comes into the room, if it will detect that and basically it will display your eyes it will also allow the image of that person to come in people said it's kind of a little bit ethereal at first or ghost-like but then you can see them in your peripheral vision or wherever they are in the room and then know that you can then pause what you're doing and sort of interact with them and they will see your eyes and it'll show your facial expressions and where you're looking and all that sort of stuff to kind of create it. And I think the idea here is, is that Apple doesn't want you to have to take off the device to have that experience. But again, I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. But the thought here is that the eyesight thing doesn't seem as creepy it's still a little bit weird when you first see it and i'm gonna have to wait to make final judgment till i see it in person but i understand i guess why they're doing it that way and what they're trying to do there um it does have an external battery pack so there's like a magnetic or magsafe style connector on one side with a cable that comes down around the back that attaches to a little battery pack apple says that'll give you two hours of battery life on um on the battery pack and then it does have a pass-through USB-C that can then attach to the wall to a power outlet and you can be tethered and then you'll have full battery life. I imagine that with that pass-through power there's going to be a lot of third-party products to extend that battery life and I'm already thinking of like really cool like 
third-party battery accessories. I have to imagine there's going to be sort of belt-worn ones or maybe shoulder strap kind style things, uh, a Chewbacca bandolier of batteries. I don't know. So you can get almost all day, uh, all day battery life. Um, but Apple did, it seemed like, go out of their way during the presentation to avoid some key terms that we've heard in other presentations or other, you know, with other types of AR VR headsets. And those are words, AR, VR, augmented reality, virtual reality, AI, artificial intelligence. Apple did not use any of those terms throughout the presentation. They referred to what you do with this device as spatial computing. They talked about machine learning and I think that was very, very deliberate. They're really trying to position this, I think, as a very different kind of device, really as a computer or a potential replacement for your existing computer. Now, whether they're going to actually be able to pull it off or not, who really knows? But because of that, and I think the number one thing that makes this different and kind of gets me excited about it is... One experience that they focused on very early was this idea of using apps, right? It has a a iOS-style app launcher. All of your iOS apps or your Vision OS apps, I guess should, I should say, live in there. And you can launch a browser. You can go into pages, keynotes, numbers. You can pull up messages. All of those things in these virtual displays that appear right in your environment. And again, because of the resolution, everybody says text is incredibly crisp and clear. You can scale these things as large or as small as you want in your environment. And because it's a augmented reality experience and you're not completely taken out of your environment, you can use other traditional inputs. So you can have a Mac keyboard, you can have a mouse or trackpad right there connected to your headset and be working with infinite windows, infinite displays in theory, as much as you can fill up your space with, and you can move around, you can recenter them by touching the digital crown, and that experience just looks amazing to me. And I'm thinking more in a kind of work environment or work from home environment, I don't know, or you know, traveling or something like that, to be able to take this device with you and maybe not have to have a laptop or not have to carry um, other kinds of displays, right? You just have the headset with you and you can be working wherever you want in this environment. Now, one feature that it has uh, with your Mac is kind of a continuity style feature. So if you have your Mac, you can actually pull up your Mac display as a 4K virtual display. Unfortunately, it sounds like you're only going to be able to do one Mac display. I had heard people already talking about, well, I could not have my Mac, right? And I could have multiple Mac displays. So I don't need to buy multiple displays from a Mac. Well, unfortunately, this is only going to work with one. Now you can have other Vision OS app displays up there. So, you know, now that we have Final Cut and um, Logic Pro for iOS, it's assumed they're going to be available for Vision OS. So you could still have those. You could have your regular Mac and your Mac apps, um, but that does have to stream from your Mac. So you have to have your Mac with you. 
Um, but still, I can imagine this being really game changing. And in that experience, I could see it being realistic where you're working, someone comes in to talk to you and the whole eyesight thing takes over. You have an interaction with a coworker without taking the headset off and then they leave and you just go back to work. And that kind of experience I can sort of buy, right? Um, working from home, you know, a family member, someone comes in, you have a quick interaction with them, they go away. Now, the other way Apple was kind of trying to sell this too, though, was they had, you know, a family environment and you can use it for entertainment. You can use it for photos. It takes these amazing 3D photos that everybody who's had the demo experience and seen one of these says even felt a little bit creepy because they were having experience with, it was like a birthday scene, but it wasn't, you know, their kid's birthday, but it felt so real and so present within the Apple vision that they felt like they were almost intruding. Um, so in order to take those though, they could only be taken with the vision pro headset. So they show this dad in the demo and he's at his daughter's birthday party and he's got these goggles on and what was really weird is Apple, again, trying to sell the idea that you're going to wear this thing, but you're going to be present for that kind of experience. And as a father and a person who, you know, really wants to spend time and engage with his family, to me, it just feels like a worse next step of you know, screen time that we already have where everybody's sitting around the dinner table looking at their phone instead of interacting face-to-face -face with each other. Now you've got, imagine, the phone on your face basically blocking you out. And even though you have these weird digital eyes, I just don't, to me, that doesn't seem like you're there and present. I get that you can interact and you're not, you know, as physically separated as if you were wearing like a VR headset, without this kind of technology, but that I'm having a hard time buying. Now for personal experiences, you know, if I just want to sit down by myself and watch a movie uh, and I go into this environment to do that or play a video game, great, that's awesome. But I just, I'm not buying that I'm going to run around at my kid's birthday party with this thing attached to my face and interact with my guests and stuff like that. It just feels really, really weird. I think for maybe a momentary experience, but even at home with my family, if I'm sitting there watching a movie or, you know, reading some, my RSS newsreader on this thing and my family comes in and wants to interact with me, I'm going to take the thing off. You know, I'm not going to leave that on, um, I just don't think I'm going to do it, or I hope we live in a world where, where that doesn't happen. But that felt really, really bizarre and um, sort of really, really weird to me. But uh, we, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I guess I, I haven't talked about price yet. So when Apple announced the price of this thing, there were literal gasps from the audience at Worldwide Developer Conference. And I... I completely understand why it's priced at us $3,499. So $3,500 and then, you know, three to $600, according to, to Mark Gurman to add lenses. If you, if you need prescription lenses, so you're looking at a $4,4500 uh, device for a lot of people. And that is just crazy. 
until you think about all the technology that's in here. And I'll, another weird thing that I want to talk about that I, I didn't buy from Apple, and this is typical Apple marketing, right, is they tried to position the price like, well, if you had to buy, you know, a 4K, 4K or 8K television and you had to buy, you know, all these computer displays and the computer and, you know, a, a a 3D camera, which you can't even buy, and all this stuff. They sort of, sort of tried to price everything out and said, you know, this is this. basically they didn't say it outright that it was a deal, but they tried to imply that you know it was a deal at that price. And there's a lot of cutting edge technology here, and everybody is saying this thing is leaps and bounds uh, uh, above and beyond anything else out on the market. Um, $3,500 is the same price range for the HoloLens 2, which is still out there and probably the most comparable to this kind of experience that Apple is building. Um, but it's definitely going to be for developers. It's definitely for early adopters. They're already saying that Apple will have a more affordable version, maybe by early 2025. Oh, and also, um, this is not going to be available until early 2024. I imagine it could even get pushed further. Apple was really vague on the uh, the launch date. But yeah, they might have a more, quote unquote, affordable version. Nobody really saying what affordable means. I guess less expensive than $3,500. But, you know, even... 2000 or $1,500 is going to be pretty pricey for a lot of people. Um, and there's a lot of speculation on how they would get it, you know, cheaper, maybe go with a lower end CPU, like an M1. I don't think they're going to be able to get away from the R1 processor just because they've still got to be able to process all those sensors really, really fast. And in real time, they could go with fewer sensors. Maybe they don't have the 3D camera option where you can take those special 3d photos maybe they go with lower specs on the display um, one idea too is they don't have to have the built-in spatial audio on the headband they could just say hey you have to use your airpods pro with less expensive version so there are some kind of strings they could pull to build maybe an apple vision instead of a vision pro but this is definitely targeted um, and marketed as a quote-unquote pro product but again, in a little bit of confusion, they showed a lot of sort of consumer applications of this. They didn't just show business stuff. And already filmmakers are getting excited about it. Um, one of the experiences that was in there in that 30-minute guided demo was an experience where you would be in different environments. So I think there was a, a you know woman walking at the tightrope and you were sort of out on the tightrope with her. Um, there was a basketball game experience. And I think this is one of those that Apple really could sell with a lot of their partnerships. Uh, the, I think a basketball game and a, and a baseball game. So the baseball game, you were literally down in the dugout and it was all filmed with this new spatial video uh, special camera system that Apple specially developed to kind of film this stuff. And all of the reviewers say it, like literally felt like being there and you're down on the field in the dugout with the baseball players watching this baseball game or you're down courtside. And, and I heard more than one person say they would actually pay for this experience at home. And they felt like it was a better experience than, you know, being able to actually be there at the game because they could never afford that kind of seat or in some cases you can't even get that kind of seat and they said i would literally pay extra money for this so like selling virtual tickets to this experience to a game 
people said they'd be willing to do that. It was supposedly that good. And everybody says you really have to see it and experience it. Another one was this dinosaur experience where, um, you know, a wall opens up in your room. And because it's an augmented reality thing and you can still see your space, they said the demo room had a coffee table and you were sitting on a couch. You're still able to get up and walk around the room. So this dinosaur comes into the room. You can walk over to it. You can walk around it. You can get right up next to it. They even said it was programmed in a way where it would react to you. So if you tried to reach out and touch it, it would move away from you. There was also a butterfly that flew into the room and literally landed on your finger. And even though there was nothing there, the the power of the mind is such an amazing thing that folks even said some people felt like they could actually feel it, even though there's there's no force feedback, there's no any kind of feedback, nothing really there. But supposedly, again, <laughs> can you see why I'm so excited? Oh, that's the experience they're kind of describing. And, you know, I think this could be really, really cool. Um, some other situations where I can kind of buy Apple's sort of argument that you wouldn't take this off when you have a quick interaction, you know, on a plane. Although, again, I don't know if I would wear this thing in public. That That's going to be a big social experiment in my mind is people going out in public with one of these things on. We remember Google Glass and the reaction to that and the fact that it has cameras and could be taking pictures. I think there might be some social pressures to uh, not do that. But a lot of people are saying, hey, I could watch on a plane, you know, full screen, full immersive movie and then flight attendant comes over to bring you your drink you could look up at her you'd see them in your peripheral vision they'd see you you could interact and then go back to your movie and um movies can have different environments actually your workspace can have different environments so they're going to have virtual environments like they had a demo of like mount hood and panoramas and you're stepping into 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 virtual spaces and again everybody's saying that it feels really like you're there. So yeah, I am flabbergasted. I, you know, I wasn't expecting to be that excited about this product, especially given the early reports that it was going to be very, very expensive. Um, but it has got me thinking that, you know, every year I get a new iPhone since the iPhone came out. I have my iPhone 14 pro. I'm looking at the specs for the iPhone 15 and going, hey, maybe this year, because I really want to get a Vision Pro, maybe this is a year I skip my iPhone purchase, save that money, and put that toward, um, uh, you know, a Vision Pro. And uh, the other thing about this, again, I think is it's really a product for early adopters. I think it's really a product targeted at um developers apple at worldwide developer conference had a ton of amazing tools um and even noted that you know the integration of this with existing ios apps out of the box is going to be pretty easy for a lot of developers especially if they built their app using swift ui which is something apple's been recommending for a long long time those apps really should just work with vision os without having to do much and then there's new api libraries that with just a little tweaks they can enhance their applications for vision os apparently pretty easily but i have a feeling you know, developers are going to get their hands on this and they are going to create some amazing 
amazing apps and amazing experiences. One interesting thing uh, that came out of one of the Worldwide Developer Conference uh, uh, presentations, I guess, was there was a there was a shot of the Vision Pro with what looked to be like a USB dongle attached to the right side of the device. Now the battery attaches on the left side and it's not really clear if this was just a developer feature, you know, where you can kind of plug into the headset or if there's going to be other ways to sort of connect this to a computer and do different things with it. You know, obviously this was just an image. It could be just something that's related to prototypes or maybe, you know, there's some speculation that Apple might offer some sort of dev kit, early dev kit version of this to developers. So it could have been that. Who really knows? Um, On the entertainment side of things, uh, after, I think a week or so after, uh, there came out a a rumor or a tweet from uh, someone in Hollywood that Monarch Legacy of Monsters, I think we talked about that Apple is planning a new series based on sort of the Godzilla world and and, um, kaiju and and the whole monster thing. There's supposedly a brand new TV show. And this tweet alleged that Apple actually shot that, is shooting that new series with the spatial video format, these new cameras and new camera system that Apple developed. So it might be the first Apple TV series where you can have a Vision Pro and have that amazing immersive 3D, I think almost beyond 3D spatial experience. It would be still available in 2D as well as a standard TV show. It's not going to be exclusive to Vision Pro, but if you have a Vision Pro, you might have this whole enhanced experience. Uh, Again, I think that is going to be huge. So I think really, in my mind, the big early applications for this before developers bring out additional stuff. It's really going to be entertainment consumption, you know, when you're basically by yourself. I guess you could do kind of share play video with another person that has a Vision Pro headset or something like that. But I think really, as much as Apple wants to sell this as a sort of device that you use when other people are around or can use when other people are around, I, I think it still feels very much like a personal device. So consuming entertainment, having these great immersive experiences, obviously I think playing games and doing that sort of thing on the consumer side, but then also just as a business tool, a tool to get work done, I think there's a lot of applications for this there as well. And that's the one thing that I'm kind of looking most forward to because I do work from home. I work remotely and I'm in an office by myself most of the day, you know, with my coworkers on, on zoom or whatever. Um, And that's the place I'm excited to use this because now I can have massive displays as many as I want. I can move things around and um, I'm just really, really excited to try this out. But not going to be able to do anything with it uh, till next year. And it may be hard to get a hold of because availability, Apple's only expected to possibly sell 100,000 of these, maybe 200,000 of these in the first year because of the high price point, because it's really targeted at early adopters. Um, Sony supposedly has a limited capacity for the actual displays that they're making, estimated by the site The Elect. They said they can do about 800 
thousand of the displays, but you need one for each eye. So that would be a limit of 400,000 units in 2023. But then, you know, you would think with the high price point, they're probably not going to sell that many. Well, 9to5Mac did a reader poll, and I think they got uh, 10,000 people to say that they would be interested in purchasing out of their audience a Vision Pro. So about a third of the readers who answered this poll said, yeah, I am definitely planning on getting a Vision Pro. So I think with all the buzz and the hype and just the stellar reviews this thing has gotten across the board, I've never seen this with I don't think any other Apple device. I mean, people were pretty positive on the iPhone and the iPod early on, but not to this degree. Everybody who has had an experience with this that I've watched has had almost nothing but praise. Really, the only downsides I've really heard is most people like myself not really buying some of the use cases that Apple has for this thing. But overall, you know, even some of the more skeptical people in the community seem to be blown away by this device and certainly by its potential. And I think that's the other thing we have to think about is, you know, this is Apple's vision for an entirely new platform, a brand new way of computing. And that's what's really, really exciting. So I don't know. I'm excited about it. Maybe overly. If you think uh, you <laughs> you think I'm crazy, uh, shoot me some feedback and let me know what you think. If you are just as excited as I am, shoot me some feedback. Let me know what you think. But that's my long-winded sort of thoughts on it. But again, like a lot of stuff to unpack here, I really think. So let's talk about some other worldwide developer conference stuff. This will be pretty quick. Not a lot to go over here. I just want to talk about some of the things that Apple highlighted, some of the things that I noticed that I'm excited about. Um, you have Mac OS Sonoma, which is the official name of the next version of Mac OS. Um, really not a lot of huge tweaks and updates here. There's going to be new screensavers, um, some new things with messages and Safari. Um, but one of the bigger things is widgets. Uh, you're now going to be able to have interactive widgets. You're going to be able to pull them out of control center and onto the desktop. Um, they are going to be dropping, uh, the Hey requirement from Siri. So going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to also string commands together without having to reactivate Siri. Um, although worth noting that that is not going to be available to Intel Macs. So you're going to have to have M series to be able to do that. Overall, the operating system uh, seems to be dropping support for most older Intel machines. It's basically going to support 2018 or later Macs. Uh, it does go all the way back to the 2017 Mac Pro, obviously, because Mac Pro hasn't been updated in a while. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, and some features like um, React with hand gestures, I forgot to mention this, is that they have now the ability to kind of have these reaction style animations that go off, you know, behind you. So if you make a heart with your hands, you know, hearts come shooting out into the environment virtually or, you know, two thumbs up and you get a fireworks display behind you. So that's not going to work with Intel Macs. What's cool about that is though, that is going to be available to work with other um, apps, not just FaceTime, but they mentioned Zoom and 
maybe Skype, I don't remember, but other other messaging apps or video apps you'll be able to uh, do that with. Uh, game mode and presenter overlay are also not going to be supported on Intel Max. Presenter overlay is uh, this way where you can kind of give virtual presentations in FaceTime. And then game mode is something Apple did make a couple mentions about gaming. I'm taking this one with a grain of salt because we've heard this many, many times before where Apple is sort of luring developers or game developers to try and come over to the Mac platform. Nothing's ever really worked before, but some exciting news here. So they have game mode, which is going to allow games to get the highest priority of CPU and GPU. So, you know, performance will be better with games on the Mac. And then the bigger news was kind of a, for developers, a gaming, a game porting toolkit for Windows games. So they'll be able to, in an environment, take a Windows game and see how virtually how it will perform on a Mac. I think doing some crossover style emulation or something like that. But then also there's a new tool to help translate their game into Mac native with support for DirectX 12. So converting your game from DirectX 12 directly into Metal um, almost automatically. Now, again, Apple often promises this, and then when uh, developers actually start using it, it's not necessarily quite as simple as marketing wants people to believe, but a little glimmer of hope for maybe getting more games over onto the Mac. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. We, of course, have new updates to iOS and iPadOS. There's a lot here. A lot of these features are also making their way to the Mac. But one of the big new features on iOS is, again, focusing on sort of widgets or more what you can do with your device when you're kind of not using it. There's a new standby mode that you can use now when your phone is in landscape and connected to power. Um, sort of like the nighttime mode thing, but here you can have a clock, you can have actual interactive widgets, so you can have it on your desk sort of doing things, being a secondary display with additional information, even when you're not using it, and you'll still be able to interact with those widgets if they're uh, made interactive. So sort of acting like a home hub, and you can customize it, you can you know have a clock on there, you can do whatever you want with that sort of thing. So that's kind of cool. Also, the ability to create new custom contact cards. So this is sort of that feature. You know how when you get a phone call, you can see the person's face kind of full screen. Now you'll be able to create your own customized version of that, and that's what's displayed. So it works a lot like your custom lock screens, but for yourself. So you can have your name in a certain style font and color. You can have your own image. You can... uh, you know, customize that and you can share that with your friends and family. And then that will be the thing that comes up when they get a message from you or you call them on the phone. And somewhat related to that is they have a new sharing method called name drop, which basically adds donking your phones together, as my friend Michael Johnston would have said years and years ago. But basically, uh, it's an extension of AirDrop, and it means you can just bring two iPhones next to each other so you don't have to go into, you know, share in the AirDrop. You just bring two phones near each other, and then they can exchange information. So you can share things like contacts, or you can start a share play session, or you can share a file or other data back and forth just by bringing the phones 
to together. And um, NameDrop will be compatible with iPhones running iOS 17. And support supposedly is also coming to Apple Watch uh, later in the year. And related to that, uh, when you start an AirDrop session, you'll now have the ability to finish that later over internet. So you, if you're transferring a large file from, say, iCloud, you don't have to stay there and wait for it to transfer locally. You can walk away and it'll go over the internet. But that feature, Apple said, is coming later after the launch of uh, iOS. And the betas are available now. They're going to have public betas soon coming. Apple said they uh, improved autocorrect. We'll ducking see about that. Um, Also, finally, finally support for multiple timers. Why that feature took so long to get, I have no idea, but that's pretty exciting. Um, You're going to be able to get uh, support for external webcams and microphones in iPadOS 17 using something called DriverKit, and that'll be available to third-party apps as well. So that's pretty cool, especially for folks who work remotely or are doing more with audio. Um, And then there is a new accessibility feature called personalized voice. So, you know, for voiceover, Apple has certain voices. Um, You can actually now go in through a process and create a voice using machine learning that will actually sound like you. So you can have your own voice. Although now that I'm saying that, that sounds like it might be a little bit creepy, but you could have your own voice coming out of your phone uh, talking to you. But cool nonetheless, I think. And then um, tvOS, not a lot to talk about there. Uh, The big thing is that FaceTime is coming to Apple TV. And you might be saying, does that mean we get a new Apple TV with a video camera in it? Uh, Nope. Actually, Apple's going to leverage their continuity camera feature. So you'll be able to set up your iPhone as your webcam. So I would expect accessories and stands and stuff like that from third-party developers coming there. And then another big new app across the board is Journal. So Apple coming out with their own built-in Apple journaling app. So you can kind of integrate that with your photo memories and audio and create a daily journal uh, to do, you know, mindfulness and 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 help focus on yourself and your day and all that sort of thing. I've never been a big journaler, but I'll probably give this a try. I mean, I've tried journaling many, many times in the past. I've never really stuck with it, Um, but it's nice to have this kind of integration. And I think it's even supposed to pop up with kind of daily prompts or reminders to kind of help you keep journaling because generally people say that uh, journaling is a pretty healthy activity. for just, you know, maintaining your mental happiness and mental state. So new journaling app. And then I think kind of the bigger exciting thing, I mean, developer conference is about software and the new operating system, but Apple also had some additional new hardware. So Vision OS or the the Vision Pro and Vision OS wasn't the only big announcement at uh, Worldwide Developer Conference. We did get the rumored 15-inch MacBook Air M2 Pro and M2 Max. It's exactly this, pretty much exactly the same design as the 13 inch, just in a larger form factor, which I think is a good thing. Um, the one new hardware enhancement outside the larger display is a six speaker, six speaker sound system versus a four speaker sound system in the 13 inch. 
and iFixit did their teardown, basically noting that, yep, it has a bigger battery internally and the redesigned speaker layout and not much else in terms of difference from the 13-inch Pro model. So M2 Pro and M2 Max processor options, just like on the 13-inch model. Then they also did do an update to the Mac Studio, bringing M2 Max and a brand new M2 Ultra chip to the Mac Studio. It, again, basically has the exact same design, so from the outside, doesn't look too different. Um, M2 Ultra, I think, is about 20% power improvement over the M2 performance improvement on the CPU over the M2 Max. Uh, and uh, basically it's M2, M2 Max is kind of stuck together just like they did with the M1 Ultra. And then they did, and this surprised me because I didn't think it was going to happen, they did finally announce a new version of the Mac Pro. Sort of. <laughs> Because it's exactly the same external case and design as the existing Mac Pro. I think it has more Thunderbolt 4 USB-C ports on it. Um, it does come with the M2 Mac, the M2 Ultra chip. So a 24-core CPU with 16 performance cores, 8 efficiency cores, a 60-core GPU, 64 gigs of RAM, standard, configurable up to 192, which is actually a big bump down from the previous Mac Pro, which could do, I think, 1.5 terabytes, but it was incredibly expensive. So Apple probably did not sell many systems beyond 192 gigs of RAM, I'm guessing. So that's why that limit. Um, it comes standard with one terabyte SSD, but it's upgradable to eight terabytes. What's interesting about that is Apple does now also sell for the new Mac Pro separate SSD upgrade kits that can be purchased and added in later. Now they do replace any existing SSDs. So if you go with a one terabyte standard and want to upgrade to say four or eight later, you're going to have to swap out um, your S your one terabyte SSDs, but is upgradable. Uh, you know, the big thing with the Mac pro finally coming to Apple Silicon is that you now have a pro option with expansion slots. So they do have six full-length PCIe Express Gen 4 slots and one half-length 4X PCI Express Gen 3 slot, but that one's already uh, got the Apple I.O. card installed in it, so you can't really use that one. So basically, six full-length PCIe Express slots, although you cannot add a GPU to it. So it does not support GPU cards. Uh, you're stuck with, um, you know, Apple's built-in stuff with the M-series processor. So just be aware of that. It's for other things. But really, I think for most pros, if you want an M2 Ultra, you're going to save a lot of money and probably get everything you need in a Mac studio, unless you have really specialized requirements. So really, in my mind, the only reason for existence of the Mac Pro is for very, very specific Pro users who need very, very specific cards, audio cards, um, other kinds of interface cards for, you know, certain kinds of networking or high-speed interfaces or whatever it might be. Um, that's really what that system is for and not too many others. But at least Apple finally now has the entire Mac lineup, everything from MacBook Air all the way up to Mac Pro under 
Apple Silicon. They finally did make it a little bit behind schedule, but hey, we got there. And uh, that was pretty much it for Worldwide Developer Conference. It, it's a lot of incredible stuff, lots of stuff to talk about. I'm sure you have your thoughts and opinions. So shoot me some feedback, send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. Before we move on, though, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. You know, I have to be completely honest and probably tell you that I don't always do the best job when it comes to my own medical care. You know, if you're like me, you can fall into the trap of you get sick, you're kind of feeling something or something happens and you run to the internet, you try to kind of self-diagnose what you have. And basically at that point, you're dying. You do that instead of calling your doctor because, you know, it, it, it can be a hassle just to try and get an appointment to find a doctor that you like. Um, but going to the internet and doing that sort of thing, that's also a very bad idea. And that's why I now use ZocDoc because they have thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc who are there to help you when you need them and they can provide you the expert care that you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. So no more questionable diagnoses from the internet, from some random internet site. No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor doctor in their neighborhood who is patient reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right go to zocdoc.com slash maccast and download the zocdoc app for free then you can find and book a top rated doctor today many available within 24 hours that's zocdoc.com slash maccast zocdoc.com slash maccast and a big thank you to zocdoc for their support of the show I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. Hey, if you've listened to the show before, you've probably heard me talk about Simply Safe. And you probably know they were named the best home security system of 2023 by US News and World Report. And that might get you thinking that, hey, you know, they're probably resting on their laurels. They're already the best. They don't have to do anything, right? Well, definitely not. They are always innovating, always working on the next thing to help keep you and your loved ones safe. 24 7 things like their new two-in-one smoke and co detector it's next generation hazard protection that distinguishes between fire and cooking smoke so your home is protected and you get fewer false alarms that part is my favorite i hate false alarms from the kitchen when i'm cooking and this is what I've been saying I love about Simply Safe and their setup. Not only is it a snap and easy to get started with maybe one of their starter systems, and you can get up and running quickly and easily, but it's also adaptable. So you can always add on, expand, or upgrade your system when you need to. And even if you're not a DIYer, they also have the option to have a certified technician install it for you. Their new smoke and CO detector sensor joins Simply Safe's comprehensive suite of advanced security cameras, sensors, and hazard detectors for seamless whole home monitoring. So whether you want to jump in with one of their pre-configured systems, 
customize your own setup, or add on to what you already have, Simply Safe has you covered. With Simply Safe's 24-7 professional monitoring services, trained agents stand ready to respond in an emergency, dispatching police, firefighters, or EMTs to your door, even if you're away or can't be reached. Monitoring service costs under $1 a day. And there's no reason to wait. With financing through a firm, you can secure your home today and pay over time in installments that fit your budget. Right now, get 20% off your new system when you sign up for interactive monitoring. Visit simplysafe.com slash maccast. That's simplysafe.com slash maccast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. If you've been listening to the MacCast for a while, you know that one, I'm a huge Apple fan. I'd even consider myself a fanboy. Uh, and, you know, I enjoy Apple products. I love Apple. Obviously, I wouldn't do an Apple podcast if I didn't, but. I'm also one who is not above or beyond sort of calling out Apple when I see something that I think they're doing that I just don't agree with. And that happened to me this week when I was browsing Apple TV Plus looking for a movie to watch. So I was on my Apple TV and I noticed something rotten with Apple or maybe not rotten. I don't know how to say that correctly because I was looking at different movies and a couple of them were Apple TV plus movies and others were movies from other places or other studios. I don't know how you would say that, but basically not Apple TV ones. And what I noticed about the Apple TV plus movies was they conveniently did not have Rotten Tomatoes ratings on their listings. And I actually had to do a double take because I'm, I was like, don't movies on Apple TV uh, in the listings and in the Apple store, Apple TV store, I don't even know what we call it anymore, Apple movie store, basically on Apple TV, if I'm looking at movies whatever service they're on or whether I'm purchasing them, I was pretty sure they had the Rotten Tomato ratings right there on the movie listing. And sure enough, I go look at some other movies that aren't Apple TV Plus movies and boom, Rotten Tomatoes rating. Apple seems to think that their movies are above having those. Probably because they don't want a negative rating showing up next to their own content. And because they control the platform and they control it, they can choose not to do that. But they're basically not leveling the playing field, in my opinion. And frankly, I think that stinks because now I have to go leave the Apple TV experience to go check the Apple TV movie rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And they have them on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not like they're not getting rated over there. Apple just is not going to display that to you for their own movies, probably because if they had a movie that got a bad rating, and honestly, not too many of them do have bad Rotten Tomatoes ratings, um, they don't want you to apparently see it. Not on Apple TV or not, you know, next to an Apple product, because I guess that would reflect badly on them. I don't really know. I find it 
actually pretty annoying and not uh, consumer friendly. It's not not what I want. Um, it does seem like TV shows also across the board, and this is equal, do not have Rotten Tomatoes ratings, even though there are Rotten Tomato ratings for TV shows. Uh, I thought those were on Apple TV Plus too, but they're not at all. But at least they're, Apple's got a level playing field because they're not showing Rotten Tomato ratings for any TV show on the Apple TV. So I'm curious why they haven't added those. Um, I would like to see them. They're not even there for the non-Apple shows so it'd be nice if they would add those but come on apple really you're gonna like you know and i get it they control the platform and they want to control their narrative and they've always been that way and you know you're welcome to give me that feedback but you know i get that but i mean are we really that vain are we really that concerned uh about our content that we don't want to give our customers the convenience I don't know. Sorry, I had to go on a little rant today because, again, not not a not a not a good move, Apple. Not a good look, in my opinion. But if you agree or disagree with me, send me some feedback. Received an email from Vince this past week, who has encountered some frustrations in working with HomeKit, home automation, and HomeKit devices. Specifically, he calls out. Uh, some inconsistencies or trouble with automating different things within his home kit environment and also the general lack of support and uh and documentation and to me it seems like and he asked me just to comment on it he actually had a couple questions and and things like that and so you know, it seems to me like Apple has not, at least in recent years, dedicated many development resources to expanding HomeKit. You know, HomeKit was supposed to be this big thing that was going to change the face of home automation. Um, it was going to make home, autom- home automation easy and we'd be able to connect devices together and, and connect things together and control things. And it was going to be super simple and secure and all that stuff. And it brought a lot of that promise. Um, but as we know now in hindsight, because of the licensing, because it was Apple, a lot of companies did not support HomeKit. Uh, they didn't jump on board. And so Fast forward to what about a year or two ago, and you know Apple joined an alliance and they helped develop and work on the new Matter standard, and that was supposed to bring all these new devices and change things and kind of ramp up the interconnectivity and all that sort of stuff. And generally, that hasn't really happened. I think we've got some new devices and new classes of devices, but it hasn't been this huge takeoff. And I think part of that is, you know, Apple not really doing much with HomeKit or the Home app. There's a lot of people that think the Home app is lacking. Um, I've personally found it found it fine and I like it and use it for my own HomeKit stuff, but I'm not doing a lot of high-end complex things. I don't have a ton of HomeKit devices and stuff like that. I have very minimal home automation. I've dabbled with it, I would say, but I haven't really dove in deep. And it sounds like Vince has kind of dove in deep and is just going, hey, what is going on? You know, I thought Apple was supposed to kind of revolutionize this and this isn't feeling that way. And, you know, my biggest negative experience personally with home kit has been 
One, you know, not being able to get access to all the devices I want, unsupported devices. Um, but for those, I often just turn to Homebridge, which is a great project. We've talked about it here on the MacCast before, and you can kind of get unsupported devices connected and supported. Um, but then my other issue that I always had with HomeKit was if it just totally broke down and you need to reset everything and rebuild it, reconnecting all your devices and setting everything back up can be a huge, huge hassle, especially I had uh, LifeX bulbs, light bulbs, and they didn't have the little HomeKit codes on the light bulb itself. It came on a little pamphlet inside the packaging and I could never match the bulbs back up to, you know, which bulb went with, with which code. And it was just a big, giant hassle to reset everything up. But um, for Vince, you know, where he's encountered issues is installation and troubleshooting documentation. He says, hey, it's very light. Apple support for HomeKit is next to nothing. It's really frustrating. Um, and I can see that. There's not a lot of information out there. And then... Like I said, he's run into trouble with automations, uh, basically rules he set up not consistently running or turning on or off his devices as expected. Uh, for me, I've generally found it to work fine with time-based rules, which is mostly all I've really used. I've dabbled around a little bit with using uh, air tags to trigger automations, and that was kind of fun, but I never really used them in practice. I will say geolocation-based rules for me were always off and spotty and never really worked very well. Uh, like I had one for my garage door opener that was supposed to open my garage door when I came home and close it when I left, and that thing never worked. I don't, I don't know what was going on with that. But I don't know if that's the kind of issues you're running into, Vince. Um, I do feel like the Matter and Matter support brought more types of devices over the past year, but... Again, I haven't really been expanding my home automation, so I don't know if any of the new support or new devices are good or if there's any issues there. Um, but the ultimate question is, you know, is Apple serious about evolving HomeKit and taking it to the next level? And I think that's a fair question for discussion. And I, I really want to hear from you and what you think, especially if you're really into HomeKit you know, what is going on? Because you look at, we just had Worldwide Developer Conference, and I don't think Apple said one thing. I don't remember hearing one thing about HomeKit at all. So HomeKit either got very little or no love at Worldwide Developer Conference. And Apple has done this with technologies in the past where they pioneer this great thing, they put it out there, and it doesn't kind of take off or do the thing they want. And then they just kind of never talk about it every, anymore. It still exists for a long time in the ecosystem, but they just kind of let it languish and die. And so the question becomes, we've had Matter now for like a year, and outside of that release, and I think they also did an update to the Home app last year, Apple really seemingly hasn't touched HomeKit. So what's going on? Is it is it being left to languish, or is something going to improve and that's kind of what vince is asking about so we want to hear from the community what do you think the other question was do we know of any resources currently that might be available to help users who are trying to do home automation with HomeKit? you know are there website resources are there other places where you can get support and find community uh for home kit now again i'm not really big in the home kit 
environment. Like I said, I've dabbled with it a little bit. I do know of a couple podcasts. Uh, there's the HomeKit Insider podcast you might check out over uh, from the folks at Apple Insider. And uh, also the HDTV and Home Automation podcast, uh, htguys.com. My good friend Ara Derderian does that show. Been doing it you know, since the early days. And he's really into the home automation stuff. We've had him on the MacCast in the past to kind of talk about it. So maybe it's time to get Ara back and talk a little bit about the current state of HomeKit and where things are at. I might look into that, Vince, and maybe we can get some support for you here. But if anybody knows of additional resources, places to go to get more help and information on implementing HomeKit, send those along and we will share them on future episodes of the MacCast. And then the last thing that I want to talk about this week is life after PhotoStream. As we discussed last time on uh, the MacCast, Apple is shutting down its PhotoStream service and recommending that users move to iCloud Photo Library. And I've personally been using iCloud Photo Library for a few years now, and I absolutely think it's fabulous. I love it, but I have, you know, a full two terabyte iCloud account through Apple Apple, now I'm going to get the name of it wrong, <laughs> Apple One, <laughs> through the Apple One service. And uh, I sync all of my iCloud photo library all the way through to my Mac. I have my Mac download all the photos and I do all my backups and everything from there. And it has worked great for me. I absolutely, absolutely love it. But apparently there are a number of folks in our community that manage their photo libraries differently on different devices and have been for years. And so the thought of just turning on iCloud Photo Library now seems scary, if not impossible, and could be fraught with different issues. And so now that this is happening, I started hearing from various members of our community with different scenarios and different devices. So we had Jerry, who sent an email, and Jerry has a MacBook and an iMac along with an iPad and an iPad mini. And Jerry managed photos on each device separately and had albums set up on different devices where sometimes the album names were the same and some of the photos were the same within those albums. Some of them were different. So the photos are kind of spread across all these different devices and not all of them exactly the same. And when Jerry turned on iCloud Photo Library on all these devices, what happened was it did what it was supposed to do and started syncing everything and creating single albums out of these albums that were named the same on different devices and syncing all the photos over to them. But it apparently didn't do a very good job of detecting when the photo was the same because it was transferred to the device at a different time. And so Jerry said, I ended up with like, in some cases, seven duplicates within a single album. So that's really frustrating and something that could happen potentially and definitely happened to Jerry. Patricia also is looking for a device in migrating because she says, I have iCloud photos active on my iPhone with a library of about 9,000 photos, but I also have an iPad with 7,200 photos that uh, is not syncing to, or not part of iCloud. And I also have my Mac. And so what I do is I use my phone as the kind of source of truth. It backs up to iCloud. And so all my my photos are there. For photos I want on my iPad, I just airdrop them from my iPhone to my iPad. And I organize them into albums over there. So she's got albums 
on two different devices, a lot of ways like how Jerry has it. And then um, on the Mac, she says, I don't want to use iCloud uh, because there I'd rather just back up my photos, you know, have them locally and back them up to hard drives and, and back them up that way. And I think one area of confusion might be that um, I would not call iCloud Photo Library really a backup system. It's more of a centralized library and syncing system. And you definitely should still have other forms of backup locally for your photos. I would really, really recommend that. But, you know, uh, Patricia says, hey, the photos and albums differ between my iPhone and iPad. And she wanted to know what's going to happen when I activate iCloud on both devices. And I'd imagine based on Jerry's experience, you might end up with the same thing where it starts syncing. And if you have two albums with the same name, but some photos overlapping and some not, you could end up with this du duplicate photo situation. So for everybody out there who is in this kind of situation or a similar situation with this move from PhotoStream to iCloud Photo Library, I want to talk about that a little bit and that'll kind of you know end the show for this week. But I've had this discussion before, but my recommendation for using iCloud Photo Library is this. When you set it up, Choose one device or Mac to be the main library that is going to store a hard copy of all your photos. At least one main library that has full original copies of all your photos. I would recommend this being your Mac since that's likely going to have the most available storage. You can connect time machine to it. You can do other backups fairly easily from it. You can have it back up to cloud storage like Backblaze or some other location, right? So have that be your main library, main source of truth. You could, of course, use an iPad or an iPhone. Those devices are just harder to back up locally. But whatever device you choose, um, I would also recommend you have a way to back up that device's library uh, because I don't consider iCloud or iCloud Photo Library a backup, backup locally. If it's an iOS device, I guess you could use a tool maybe like iMazing to back up the library to your Mac and then back that up to that, back that backup up to an external drive or time machine or offsite storage. But I think it'd just be easier to use your Mac as the source of truth. Just my opinion on that one. But once you decide whatever is going to be your main device, the key is, is you want to set up that device to always from iCloud photo library, download the originals. So that means no matter where you take or upload a photo into iCloud photo library, that one main device is always going to have the full original copy of your photos. So on the Mac, you go into photos, you go into settings, you go under iCloud, and you check the download originals to this Mac option. On iOS, you're going to go into settings, photos, and you're going to turn on the option that says download and keep originals. Again, remember, this is going to be your main source of truth, and you want to make sure whatever device that is, it has enough local storage to fit your entire library. Another advantage of using your Mac, because you can move your iCloud photo library to an external drive if you need to do that. Um, I recommend if you can keeping it on your main local drive, just because it's more, it's easier and uh, more convenient to manage, but you know, that might not always be possible, especially if you say I only have a, 
you know, 128 or 256 uh, gigabyte internal SSD or something like that. But then uh, any other devices where you're using iCloud Photo Library, you can then choose to have those be optimized uh, where most of the photos are stored in the iCloud photo library and then only when you need to edit something or do something you can grab a photo on demand and edit it and do what you want with it out of iCloud. Um, now if you open an, a, a photo on an optimized device or take a photo on that device. It won't have to be downloaded. You should have the original there as long as you have enough space. But with optimized, if you need more space, what it'll do is it'll know, hey, I have that that image up in the iCloud photo library so I can free up that space. Again, you're welcome to set up all your devices with, you know, originals on every device and synced through iCloud photo library if you have enough storage. But, you know, have at least one device be that kind of master library that has all of the originals locally backed up. That's the key and that's really, really important. And as long as you do that, that's what I've been doing. I think iCloud Photo Library works great. You shouldn't have any issues. Now, back to this other problem where, hey, I've been managing libraries and photos in different places all over the place. I have some overlap. I have some names. I'm worried about duplicates. What happens if I get duplicates? So if you run into the duplicate issue after turning on iCloud Photo Library and you're up to date with your operating system and you have the latest version of Photos, uh, you can use the new duplicate album, Duplicates album to help you clean things up. Now, this album uses on-device um, machine learning so you will, when when you first kind of set up iCloud, it will do its whole image analysis thing. And that can take a little while. So if you turn on iCloud Photo Library and you don't see a duplicates album right away, don't worry about it. Wait a few days or a week or something like that. Eventually, you're going to wind up with this duplicates album. And then what you can do is you can go into that duplicates album and it will show you all the duplicate copies of an image in your iCloud photo library. And the way it does that is it looks for exact copies based on the machine learning and also uh, copies that might have different metadata. They might look the same um, and uh, but could have different resolutions, different file formats, or other slight differences. It will still be able to detect that, hey, these are duplicates. And then it gives you an interface. It'll show you the photos, show you the photo sizes and stuff like that. So in case, you know, one's a thumbnail and one's actually the original, it just shows you the, all of those inside this album. And it'll tell you how many duplicates you have. And so you can go through, you can review those, and you can merge them. You can do that one by one, or you can do them all at the same time or in batches, however you're most comfortable with it. But what's cool is it will recognize that, hey, I have different resolutions, I have different file formats, there's other slight differences, there's different metadata, and it's smart enough that it will keep the highest quality version and the most relevant data version and then move the rest to your recently deleted folder. And that's the folder where 
you know, images will hang out for up to 30 days and then they get purged. So even if it messes up, you can still kind of get them back. But I've used the the duplicates album feature and I have to say it worked great. It really cleaned up my library. I had a number of duplicates where there are a bunch of photos that were at lower resolution. Like I said, it keeps the best version of all of them and then it also merges any of the metadata together and it does it very well and very smartly. If you have an older version of Photos um, that doesn't have the new duplicates album feature, you can try a tool like Gemini 2 from MacPaw. That's a that's a software that'll help you find and remove duplicates, not only in your photos, but also in your files and things like that. It's it's a great little application. We've talked about it here on the past in the past on the MacCast. So you can check that out. And then uh, needless to say, but I am going to say it anyway. Just to be clear, for all of this, especially like the deduplicating and stuff like that, but even just enabling iCloud Photo Library, before you do this for the first time on any device or Mac, make sure that for that device or Mac, you have a full backup. And I even would even recommend two full backups in two different places of all your existing photos because... As you know, in case something goes totally wrong, it's likely not going to, but in case, you know, the stars don't align, the universe is, you know, your chi is off, whatever it might be, do not lose your precious, precious photos. Listen to me. This is coming from someone who had this happen, you know, decades ago, had it happen, lost some very valuable and important photos backup 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 i can't say it enough i don't want to get you know horrific messages asking about how i do hard drive recovery or all those sorts of things and i get those um please don't don't put yourself in that situation back everything up then follow this procedure that I'm talking about. And it, you really will be fine. I mean, iCloud Photo Library is, again, it's great. Um, you might have to pay for storage, which I think is something that Apple you know, wants to have happen, obviously, because uh, it's better for their bottom line and they're trying to grow their services business. Um, there are other ways to sync your photos and other options, and maybe we'll talk about those on a future episode of the MacCast. But you know, for now, if you're migrating... There's some steps for you, and I wish everybody luck. And uh, again, always welcome for feedback and options. And if you manage your photos in a different way and do syncing in a different way, let us know about it, maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank a couple of supporters really quick. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to 
maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But with that, that'll do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.